This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. covering this docu-series my gosh oh my god it's i don't i don't even i don't have words it's scrum trelescent yes it's uh rufalicious oh yeah all right yeah. yeah i finally understand all the memes now because everybody's been watching this forever and i was the last one to watch it yeah <laughs> and i'm getting sent all kinds of memes and i'm like i don't know i I mean, they're funny either way, but, like, now I get them. Totally. And there's still much more to come, Torella. Oh, my God. You yeah. just don't even know. Okay, so the first episode is called Not Your Average Joe. <laughs> We're going to combine two episodes into one. There's a lot there. We could totally spend, like, nine years on each episode because there's just so much. Oh, yeah. But we're going to keep it at combining two episodes where we can. So the episode opens with James Garretson, who, by the way, as a hairstylist, I am appalled at his haircut. I'm sorry. I just say <laughs> Why didn't anybody give him layers? Yeah. That's yeah. the main problem I have with it. Anyway, he says, because everybody's talking about like tiger or big ugh, exotic animal people, you know, like they're they're all kind of half out there. They're not not all sane, not all there. Um, James Garretson said, the monkey people, they're out there, but the big cat people, they're backstabbing pieces of shit. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, we're <laughs> off and running. Some strong feelings. Uh, right? My goodness. So we start the documentary with one of Joe's friends and former coworkers, um, John Ranky. Ranky? Yeah, I think Ranky. Is that how we say his name? Um, he said that it's not every day a zookeeper goes to jail for murder for hire, which is 100% true. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Then we hear Joe Exotic on a phone call from the jail saying, you know what they threatened me with? 79 years. I went to work every day prepared to die in a tiger cage. Dying doesn't scare me at all. Wow. And then we get 
the theme music. So then it starts because the the way the docuseries, if you have not watched it, which I'm sure everybody has because everybody has watched it. Um, <laughs> but as you know, or if you don't, they break up the documentary into like different times because he ended up recording this docuseries over five years. And he ends up saying that he didn't ever think that he would. He Well, it's right here. He says five years earlier, it's 2014 in Homestead, Florida. Eric Good said that when he started making the documentary, he had no idea it would get so ugly or take up five years of his life. He said that he started it by investigating investigating a notorious reptile dealer in South Florida. And so he's going to this house and they bring out this huge anaconda, which just brings me back to like J-Lo and Ice Cube and being terrified. Oh, for anacondas, sure. Oh, right. Yeah. I think I ran to my the bathroom every night while I was like in the middle of the night getting up to go to the bathroom. I ran to and fro because of Anaconda. <laughs> because of Anaconda? Yeah. At least was... my fear was the scream guy who could kill you in your house, but <laughs> uh, Anaconda, probably not. Well, it was a mix of Anaconda and E.T., Two very valid rational fears. E.T. really stuck with you because you, really you hadn't did. watched that since you were four years old. No. But it was, he, he was there. Still scaring the shit out of you when you're 15. <laughs> right. So we watched the, this, this guy, like, um, what do you call it? Do you call it milking them for venom? Yeah. Which Gross. I hate. But yeah. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, snake. He's, they're all talking about like how much, you know, this much venom and it's teen tiny little bit could kill everybody in this room five times over or something. And then one of the guys is like, hey, come outside and check this out. And he opens up this van and there's a clouded leopard in the back of his hot van. And the guy, Eric, the documentarian, he's like, it was 100 degrees that day. So he was asking him, he was like, should should he be refrigerated or something? You know, like being in Florida and uh, doesn't he need like a cold climate? And the guy's like, no, if he's acclimated to Florida, it's fine. And then just closes the van back up. No big oh deal. And so he said that that experience got him started on why people collect these rare animals. Then we go to Winnie Wood, Oklahoma, and we meet Joe Exotic. <laughs> no one prepared us to meet Joe Exotic. Like, it's a crash course in it. It's just, there he is. Yeah, um, and I, sorry, I was thinking, I didn't realize that he would be in the documentary. I didn't realize that it was about him before everything happened so i just assumed that he wasn't going to be in it i guess like Mm -hmm. in my mind i was thinking i already knew he was in jail so i was like okay he's not in it it's just that the aftermath kind of thing but um when he came onto the screen i was like is that him like i was so confused at first (laughs) that i was like this guy has to be him because there can't be another guy exactly like this like he's Oh, he's unique. That is a very, very sweet way of saying that. Yes, he is very unique. (laughs) So Joe said that he started his zoo 16 years before this point. I have no idea when this point is, but 16 (laughs) years before that. And he's talking about the park. He's talking about himself. He said that he raised almost all of the animals himself. And then we meet the keepers and the managers. So there's Eric Cowie. He's the head keeper. He does not give a shit about anybody except for the animals. John Rinky, he is the head manager. 
Kelsey Saf Safri is a keeper. And Saf said that Joe was in control of everything, that he liked to be in control, and that from the beginning to the end of the day, he recorded everything. He also had a live TV show that he did for some of, well, he didn't have a ton of followers. For all 50 um, people. Exactly. He did internet shows every night at 6 p.m. And then we meet Rick Kirkham, who, I don't know about Rick Kirkham. I have feelings mostly about his voice. Something about his voice oh, okay. reminds me I was of something. like, which one is he? He's the guy with the voice. Yeah. Yeah. He, his voice is, um, okay, track with me here. The guy <laughs> from Sister Act 2 that's kind of like, uh, Mr. Mr. Chris. Yes. Doesn't he kind of <laughs> sound like him? Yes. And almost kind of looks like him. There's something about the way his A face little, is set. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yes. I totally get that. I love that. <laughs> I knew exactly who you're talking about, but the Mr. Crew. <laughs> um, so good. I have to interrupt this with something that everybody's going to be really upset about just quickly. Oh. I sent Andrew. So um, Andrew's my husband for anybody who doesn't know, but he's watching the documentary with me and we've done the Netflix party watching it twice now, the first two episodes with like whoever. So we'll keep posting that whenever we do it. But um, so he's been watching it too. And last night I was telling him before we went to bed about the meme, um, the Joe Exotic meme that says if Lisa Frank, if a Lisa Frank notebook was a person and it's the picture of him with like, you know, the tiger and whatever. But um, I was telling him about it last night and I was like laughing my ass off about it because I'm like, he's so a Lisa Frank notebook. And then, you know, she came out with the picture. I'm telling him the whole story. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I just thought he just doesn't care about Lisa Frank. He doesn't know who Lisa Frank is. Yeah. So I just sent him the meme earlier because I was like, oh, I'll send it to him so he'll get it. And he just responded, I don't know who Lisa Frank is. Oh, my gosh. So I guess if you're listening today, he's technically still my husband because I don't know if I can file for divorce right this moment, but (laughs) it's not going to work. But you're mulling it over, yes. I cannot. This is not going to work. How do you not know who Lisa Frank is? I get that you probably never had a Lisa Frank notebook, but he's got a sister, and like, yeah, and he went to school with other people. Well, and I never had a GI Joe, but do I know what it is? Yeah. Yeah, except I will be honest. I thought GI Joes were the little green guys, the army men. Yeah. That's what I thought a G.I. Okay. Joe was. So I actually just learned that. So actually, I don't I don't I don't know who G.I. Joe is because <laughs> I you have no idea. I know. I now know they're not the he's not the Green Army people, but I don't know who he is. You obviously have no room to talk here. Yeah, I just see that now. OK, I retract my divorce. <laughs> well, that was easy. Yeah, my bad. I see. I see the error of my ways. OK, good. OK, so keep going. So. Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, Excuse me. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Rick Kirkham also said that Joe was doing his show for probably 10 years before he came along. and Because Rick Kirkham is a producer. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he probably, or he never had more than 80 people at a time watching the show. Rinky said that 90% of the stuff that they did was about the animal rights people and Carol Baskin. <laughs> oh, oh, that Carol. bitch Carol Baskin. 
<laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> Carol Baskin is an animal rights activist who owns and runs Big Cat Rescue in Tampa, Florida. Joe said that since 2006, they had been in this pissing match over big cats. Carol is now on the screen, and she's saying that she doesn't believe that big cats should be in captivity or in cages. And she's saying this in front of a cage with a big cat in it. Uh, yeah, I the irony is fucking lost on her. Very much so. Um, if that's the right word, I'm Al- I grew up with Alanis Morissette, so I don't know the true meaning of irony, but <laughs> like, Fair. Wh- they're all in cages. Now, what she says is she's like, well, our cats are in cages to protect them, which I guess is fair because nobody, I don't think if you were an animal activist, you would want all of the animals like the tigers and all the exotic animals and the endangered animals to be in cages. But at the same time, and we get into this way more later on in the documentary, mm. she seems like she's just as bad, in my opinion, and I think in everybody's opinions. Right. You know, she might have the right idea at heart, but she's definitely exploiting the animals. But whatever. We will... Is it... Is for her, is it because she said... Because I know she talks a lot about the breeding. So is it for her that she's like, well, I'm not... I'm not perpetuating the problem this is what i have to do as a solution like that's what she's saying yes because they are hands off they don't touch the cats at all um but just wait there's more to come with that so they don't touch the cats at all no that's what they said they don't touch the cats they're hands off completely but don't they need love (laughs) (laughs) well maybe you should go try to hug and give a tiger a kiss and see I watched Joe do it. It's fine. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> I also saw, well, okay. we, they blurred it out, but we also see somebody get mauled by one. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, uh, it's hit or miss, you know, yeah. you win some, you lose some. <laughs> but also I feel like, uh, no, I can't say it was my favorite line from episode one because there's so many, but yes. When the documentarian goes to meet with Carol and she's coming out and he's still in the car and he goes, oh, she's dressed perfectly. And it just cracked me up because she's, of course, wearing one of her damn flower crown things. And (laughs) I don't know, just the way he said it, like he was obviously being sarcastic. And it's just so funny. (laughs) So great. I feel like the only person that is aware of the tone of this documentary is the documentarian, you know, like. The director, he's the only one that's like, yeah, this is yeah, hilarious exactly. and like kind of a joke on all these people. And all yeah. everybody in the documentary is like, yes, I'm the star. I'm the yeah. one coming out looking amazing. Yeah, I can't remember who said it in the chat when we were watching, but because um, I said something about Carol being obviously unaware of how she comes off to people because like now that she's... Telling everybody the way that she runs things, like obviously a lot of people are like, "Well, fuck Carol Baskin," um, and they were like, "Yeah, I read that a lot of people were really unhappy with how they were portrayed in this," and I'm like, "Well, I'm sure they all were unhappy because they all suck. <laughs> like, right. they're just like they're being themselves." But I don't know if that they just figured out they're not good people. They all suck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then after this, we get into a little bit of background on Carol. She says that she, when she was growing up, she never really had any friends. She just had two imaginary white cats. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. She also says now, like she was never allowed to have, or she had animals, but I guess now she's developed an allergy. She, she's allergic to cats. So she can't have, she says that like, you know, it's hilarious that she's obsessed with cats, but now she has to have like tile floors and uh, plastic and metal everything because she's so allergic. Everything in her house is cat related. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how her, I mean, I guess her husband's into the cat thing, too, but I just he feel like, have to be. I feel like, you know, as a married couple, usually, most times, the woman's taste is going to prevail, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're going to be in charge of the decorating a little bit more, but the way that her decorating style is, is what I imagine janice's house would look like exactly <laughs> i thought janice meets um on the nanny fran finds mother sylvia yes yes yeah yes because she's gotta have if she's got all the like metal and plastic and all that she's definitely got plastic covering her couch 100 percent. and it's just leopard print z or tiger print like any kind of big cat because she only wears cat prints she said and they're head to toe, mm-hmm. like clashy, clashy, clashy. Her shoes, her pants, her everything, cat print. Yeah, and she well, she says it's like a uniform almost. But then when you see her walking around the rescue, she is wearing a uniform, and it's not cat print. Yeah, it's like just says "Big Cat Rescue" on a t-shirt. Yeah, it's just a shirt with the le- like missed opportunity, Carol. You can't even I do know. that right. <laughs> the point is, she's insane. <laughs> yeah. Then we go back to Joe. And his gift shop. And he's showing off his wares. Um, He says. Oh, yes. They have lotion. They have sex gel for him and for her. Sex gel. Sex gel. They have shirts. They have underwear. Although he does not wear any of the underwear because he free balls it, as he says. (laughs) And I know for some people that I've seen, that's where they had to stop watching the documentary. Are you serious? Because it's terrible. Yes. I don't know. I feel like Bob was like, I, that's where I had to stop watching it. Bob. I know. I you know. can push through that. If you I can know. deal with three episodes of Skanky Anthony. What, what did we call her? Casey, Casey Skankthony. Well, I fucked that up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. I, uh... I told everybody that we're going to open a new Patreon tier that's going to include a sex gel from Joe Exotic's store. Yes. Oh, my God. And a CD, <laughs> of course. Yes. What was the, um, oh, my gosh, what was the the sex uh, stuff from Anchorman? It was like 100% of the time or 80% of the time it works 100% of the time or whatever. I don't remember, you know. But it, I think it was called like Black Panther or Panther blood or something like that oh anyway he also shows off his full length albums <laughs> and they feature 28 songs and 16 music videos how in the world i don't know he's just a music machine yeah just churning them out he really I, i'm they're catchy man oh they're very catchy and his voice is not bad it's really not bad you hear him talk and you're like there's no fucking way and then he starts saying i mean i was for sure that it was, he was like a Natalie Imbruglia, like, lip syncing kind of deal, but it's him. <laughs> Did Natalie Imbruglia lip sync? I heard that. <gasps> Torella, no. Oh, God. 
I'm sorry. I could be so wrong. I mean, I think I heard it in like the eighth grade. Go with Millie Vanilli if you're going to make that reference. Yeah, but I remember being really upset about that. And then I said, you know what? I don't care because it's what she loves to do. And if this is the only way she can do it, then I feel like she deserves it because I fucking love her song. And I don't care if she really sang it or not. That's really nice of you. Yeah, I remember being being all about that. You know what? It probably did not happen. <laughs> well, whatever. We're past that now. Update. Natalie and Brulia did not lip sync the song Torn. Apparently, the controversy was around the fact that Torn is, in fact, a cover song, and she made reference to writing songs in a couple interviews that led people to believe that she wrote the song, and then when people found out it was a cover, they were upset. So she did not lip sync. So sorry about that. Then we meet John Finley. Poor little baby angel John Finley. He says that when he first met Joe, he was a month out of high school. He was with Joe from 2003 to 2014, so that is 11 years of his life spent with Joe. Um, yeah, and how Joe old was then, he when he met Joe? Well, he was a month out of high school, so what, 18? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Joe says that at the age of 13, he knew he was gay. He says that he met or that his dad made him shake his hand in front of his mom and promise not to come to his funeral. And that was a really tough time for him. Like, he really, really struggled with that, which I cannot, cannot even imagine. Yeah. He said at that point, he was just in such a bad place that he drove his car off of a bridge. He broke his back. He was, had to be, like, rehabilitated. And when he was in a rehab center in Florida, he had a neighbor that worked for the Lion Country safari and he would bring home baby lions and baby monkeys to bottle feed and that's where his love of exotic animals started howard baskin carol's husband he's got to be batshit crazy to put up with it whatever right. love is love says that in addition to joe's exotic or to joe's exotic what am i saying to joe exotic there's doc antle in the cub breeding slash petting world then we meet doc antle his full name, and I'm using air quotes there, mm -hmm. is Dr. Bhagavan Antel. He runs Myrtle Beach Safari. John Rinky said that Joe wanted so bad to be like Doc Antel, so he sent a few people up to his place to see how he does it and try to emulate that. He said that Doc Antel helped, to, helped him to learn how to market and make money at his zoo and that people only care about what's in front of them. So. Tiger petting, like petting the tiger cubs, holding them, helps them care. And Doc Antle says, because they, he's like, this is where you see, and these little cubs are teensy tiny. Like, they are little bitty babies. And he's just, like, putting them in front of people and letting them, like, pet all over them and stuff like that. If you're wondering how much it costs to do this, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> so, Doc Antle, is it Antle? Antel? Yeah, Antle. Antle, Doc Antle, says that the price of admission to pet a tiger is $339, but some people paid $665 because 
of the whole um oh my god what do you call it like there's a word it's like um where people want it so the the rate goes up it's like supply and demand high demand yes supply and demand (laughs) it's supply and demand doc says oh go ahead well i was just gonna say no you go ahead well wasn't that when there was one guy they talked to and he's like yeah this is my second time this week i literally was just about to say that yes um that some families would go twice twice a week and twice in one day how like who what is their job what is your job I have no idea. And the wife is like, oh, it's his favorite animal. And he's like, yeah, I, I really love him. Like, I yeah, I'd come things, every day I if I could. Yeah. It's like, well, who ha- how did you come twice this week? Like, I couldn't pay $400. And you know, it's not just him and his. They showed children with them. Yeah. So. They brought a bunch. Of, yeah. That's like $2,000 in a week's time. Like, wh- mm-hmm. maybe they're um, drug dealers. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. You'd have to do something. Right. Doc says it's a minimum of $10,000 a year to feed each tiger and that he feeds them all organic, super clean, like better than you could eat yourself food. Well, then Joe says that he can feed a tiger for $3,000 a year and he has 227 tigers. That is so much money. That's so much money. But also at one point he does say he uses the $10,000 figure as well. Hmm. Obviously, it's not what I don't feel like that's what he's spending because he's feeding them garbage. But right. Like, yeah, at one point, I feel like it's in the second episode when they're talking about just like how much she pays everybody and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know. But he says he says, yeah, ten thousand dollars. And that's just to feed one tiger. And we have. Right. Yeah. And it's like well, two hundred twenty seven. But that's not what you're spending. Well, yeah. And I guess I guess what he's saying here is like he can feed one for three thousand so it's like maybe ten to three thousand dollars three thousand dollars ten thousand dollars i don't know yeah it just depends on what he they have available that, i guess right exactly he said that they are constantly trying to drop that price and by doing so they get cows from a feed lot and it's five to seven cows a day the game warden also calls them anytime a cow or a deer is hit on the highway he said that if he was to feed them nothing but cows he would need 30 cows a day that's yeah, that's so many cows. So many cows. Joe says that he started going around to schools and talking to people about drugs and drunk driving after his brother was killed in a drunk driving accident. He said that talking wasn't enough to keep their attention, so he started bringing animals with him. Then he moved on to magic. And it's funny because our cousin John just recently posted on Facebook a statistic that <laughs> I don't think he pulled out of his ass. But he said that every two out of three tiger owners are magicians. And that's just a fact. It is a fact. I mean. <laughs> it's so fun. It's, that is really smart, though. Like, right? if you want to keep their attention to do something like that, I mean. he It's good. He's good at what he does. Like, there's a reason absolutely. he captivates so many people's attention. Yes, absolutely. J.P. Wilson was 12 and in the eighth grade when he met Joe. And he's the one who showed him how to do magic. <laughs> a 12-year-old. That's, but, okay. uh, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, how else are you going to learn it, I guess? He was taking animals, putting them in a semi, like the back of a semi truck, and bringing them to the mall to do his shows. And Howard and Carol 
are pissed about this. Mm -hmm. They hire Susan Bass at the beginning of 2011 to track Joe and contact the malls and try to get them to stop letting Joe exploit the animals. Then we see some of the appearances that Joe Exotic, Doc Antle, and Jack Hanna have made over the years on like David Letterman. He was men- they were mentioned on like Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. And Shaq has a segment where he said that he visited the GW Zoo, which is the Greater Winniewood Zoo, and shouts out Joe Exotic and says that he got two more tigers that day. Yeah, I was like, two more? What are you saying? How many do you have? Well, and isn't that illegal? Like, you're not supposed to. It's illegal to buy or sell exotic animals or endangered animals. Yeah, and he was just like, yeah, I bought me two more. Who cares? Also, he called him Exotic Joe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, he is kind of exotic, isn't he? Yeah, so, okay, I think I I think I think missed a little bit of the maybe beginning because I was trying to figure out the Netflix thing, but, so Carol is in Florida, and he's in Oklahoma, because mm-hmm. they act like they go back and forth to each other's shit, like, all the time. That's really, that's a lot of work. That's a ton of work. I'm now seeing how much fucking work it is for them to be on top of each other all the time. Damn. <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought they were in the same state. Nope. And where's Doc Antle? Doc Antle is in Myrtle Beach, so he's in South Carolina. Holy shit. Okay. And then I know Zanesville, because they mentioned Zanesville, that was in Ohio, but... It was in Ohio, yes. Wow. Okay, it's all over. I thought these were... Because I was like, damn, there's like 10 people who have zoos in like a, you know, really close area, but... That would just be bad business practice, I think, because... Yeah, it really would. You should not... Well, but I mean, Starbucks makes it work. Well, that's true. True. That's true. Then we get some background on Doc Antle. So here's the deal about Doc Antle. He is a very smooth talker. He's very good. He's very eloquent. Mm-hmm. I was almost going to say he's very good at talking, but that <laughs> would imply that I am not good at talking. <laughs> well, it highlights that you're not good at talking. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't imply really. Yeah. It just showcases it. Um, it proves, if you would. He's good at speaking good. <laughs> and But he is. He's really, really eloquent. I hate him. Yeah, I was going to say, he. I fucking hate that guy. He, As soon as he came on the screen, I was like, I don't know how to feel about this guy. I'm not sure about him. He's so, he's so abrasive. And arrogant as Arrogant, hell. yeah. He just, everything that he says is condescending in some way. Absolutely. And he's really just the biggest dickhead, I feel like. I mean, he's like, he's the fucking worst. I hate him. He is the fucking worst, exactly. We get some background on him. He said that he grew up a professional cowboy with his whole family being professional cowboys. Doc Antle also did magic. So, of course, I want you to go ahead and go back to that statistic that I gave you earlier. Exactly. That's so funny. I know. And he's like Bhagavan the Great. And it's like, you know, it's so ridiculous. Also, was Bhagavan not also the name of the cult leader in Wild Wild Country? I think so. The reason being, and we get into this a little bit later, but I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you if you don't already know this, which everybody does. Bhagavan means God. I or Lord hate him. <laughs> right. He um yes he looks like a like so seventies in this. Well, anytime you see him in years past, he's got long, 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 thick dark hair with a big old thick mustache. One of the guys compares him to Yanni, which my husband loved Yanni. He had the Yanni cassette tape. Stop it. I swear. 
Are you serious? That's hilarious. No, I'm serious. We bring it up, or I try to bring it up as often as possible. Because you can't just love Yanni and then not have it. You can't, you have to live with that, and I have to remind him. Oh, yeah, of course. Yanni <laughs> Gogolak. Exactly. <laughs> um, then Doc Antle moved to Yogaville in Buckingham, West Virginia. Yogaville? Yogaville. Sweet. He says that that's where he learned to showcase animals and present them without barriers, without caging, so that you can see them with all their power and glory. And then he goes on to brag about how he's made over 500 movies with animals. Isn't, I feel like, isn't that, I don't know, if you're supposed to be an animal lover, isn't training them to be in movies, like, just so far against what they're made for that it isn't that I mean I guess I like seeing cute animals in movies and stuff like that and I get you know you want you don't want everything to be CG and in the 90s you kind of couldn't although Jurassic Park you and know? Anaconda and Anaconda but like isn't that you know what right. I'm saying oh no I totally understand what you're saying I mean that is cruel it's not it's That's not what the they're word. cruel thank you yeah it's not what they're meant to be but I think that the difference between an animal rights activist or a true animal lover and these people is they don't care so much about the animal as much as they care about what the animal, how the animal makes them feel. Like, mm. they feel powerful. They feel, you know, like, it's all about them. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Doc needs power and control over people. Yes, and animals. I mean, he just needs to feel super, super powerful and in control, absolutely. So then Joe says that from the time the cubs are four weeks old to 16 weeks, you can profit $100,000 on one cub. Carol brings up that there are enough ignorant people who will take those cubs in and not realize what they've gotten themselves into. And then that there's almost no government regulation of private owning of animals, or wild animals, excuse me. So these people can see it because, I mean... Good Lord, baby tigers, and I'm sure baby lions, precious. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. They are so cute. And apparently there are enough people who are like, yeah, I'll take them. Yeah, like that they don't. Do you not realize that the the baby tiger that you have still grows into a full adult tiger? Exactly. It's not going to stay that little forever. And once they get to past apparently 16 weeks, they can take an arm off. Like they can. Yeah, they are wild animals. That will defend themselves when they have to. Absolutely. Then, during the documentary, we are reminded of Zanesville, Ohio, which you kind of brought up a little bit earlier. <laughs> in that town in 2011, 50 wild animals were deliberately let loose. It was one baboon, three mountain lions, 17 lions, two wolves, one macaque, 18 tigers, and they were let loose by zookeeper Terry Thompson. 48 of the 50 animals that were let loose, loosed, <laughs> 40, <laughs> 48 of the 50 were killed. And all the, like, law enforcement people were so upset Oh yeah, about it. Like, it really bothered them to have to do that. But he, I guess, wanted to, he wanted to die, but he also wanted his wife to be punished because his wife was leaving him, like, having an affair with somebody, I think. He had mm-hmm. gone to jail for something, and when he got back, his wife had left him. So he, yeah, let them all out, and I think he got eaten by them. 
Yeah, I think he did too. I don't. He didn't survive it. No, and um, and he did it just on purpose, like just to I think to punish her really, but because it was those animals were both of theirs. Mm. Um, but if you want more information about it, the I think yeah, it was True Crime Garage did I think a two part episode on it. It was really good. So crazy though. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's a really really sad case because these, again, it's like you know animals and children don't have the, they're not they're totally innocent like there's nothing they could have done even when even when people buy animals exotic animals and keep them as pets and then when that animal turns on you because that's what it's naturally supposed to do it is a wild animal you cannot trust that it's not going to turn on you Mm-mm. you know it's still not the animal's fault it's your fault for putting them in captivity yeah, exactly. And you're creating that ticking time bomb, yeah. but then they have to pay the price for it. It's just so sad. Yeah, exactly. They get punished for it. And it's like, well, now you've got to be put down because you're a danger to people when we fucking knew you were a danger to people to begin with. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to just hope it doesn't happen. Like, But people who are into exotic animals, and I think that there are some cases where it could be fine, like snakes and things. I don't personally want one, but you can have them and they can be fine, you know. But there are certain. I just do not understand the appeal or why somebody would cannot think outside of themselves enough to be like, this is not a good idea. Yeah, this isn't safe. What about people around me? Like, I mean, I don't know. I guess if you live on a property of a thousand acres or something and it's like really well maintained, maybe, but still animals can go further than that. Like if mm -hmm. they get out, like. If somebody decides to go crazy like that Terry Thompson guy and let them all out, like, you just don't know. And it's one thing for your um, fucking Pomeranian to get out, and it's another thing for a tiger to get out, like. Exactly. Although Pomeranians can be vicious, and chihuahuas and dachshunds. Yeah, they're mean little shits, aren't they? But there was a a person, a people, a person here. (laughs) um, This was, God, probably 10 years ago now. But um, this woman who lived in a neighborhood, I mean, houses right next to her, she's going to get in her car to get ready for work one day, and she's talking on her cell phone, and she's like, that's weird. Something's, like, in the trees. Like, the trees are shaking around. Like, there's something in the tree. She looks down, and this orangutan flies down at her and attacks the shit out of her and pulled, like, broke her leg and pulled most of the skin off of her legs and like she had to have skin grafts and she had to have like god at least five or six different surgeries and i mean she survived but terrible yeah it was horrible so the guy living next door to her i mean literally in a neighborhood had four or five orangutans and obviously you're not supposed to do that and right. he was just letting them roam around the backyard. And, of course, they can climb in trees and then get out of your fence. Like, a fence isn't right. going to keep them in there. Well, and they say, like, I don't know about orangutan specifically, but I would think they would be similar. Chimpanzees, like, once they get to, like, the seven-year age, they, especially male monkeys, they get very aggressive. Yeah, yeah. These were all very aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they had to put them down. Well, and, yeah, that's not that orangutan's fault but here we are yeah so then we meet sheriff Rhodes. he's a winniewood sheriff he he says that one of the things that keeps him up at night is the park 
And he recalls a time, and we see this in the documentary. So after the whole Zanesville situation, they interview, a, the, a news crew interviews Joe Exotic. And Joe's like, I'll tell you what, if anybody comes in here and tries to take my animals away from me, it'll be a small Waco. That's over the, that's crossing the line, man. Right? And the reporter is like, that's a powerful statement. And Joe's like, that's a very powerful statement. Like, he doubles down. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean it. I said what I said. Yeah, and I think that just shows you that, like, I mean, he's kind of (laughs) trash. I mean, right? sorry, but saying something like that is really, really out of line. That was a a horrible tragedy. Like, right. I think it's it's fair to say that that statement was a very trashy statement, obviously. Like, that's that's very yeah. uncouth and un- insensitive. Mm-hmm. Sheriff Rhodes recalls that time and says that if he has had to look at that as a direct threat, which I understand. Mm-hmm. John Rinky said that after the Waco deal, they made a pact to kill each other or themselves if something went wrong at the park. See, and that's another... Like, I don't know. Like, he even went so far as to write each other, like, each of their names on individual bullets. And he's, like, he's, like, proud of it when he's talking about it. He's, like, yeah, here it is. I even wrote our names on the bullets. And he's, like, laughing. And I'm just, like, do you know, there's just some things that, like, if you have any tact whatsoever, you're not going to say in public. And, you know. And they just went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah. They're doing it. Yeah. Joe says that he's defended himself against animal rights activists like PETA. And Doc Antle says that Carol and PETA are one entity, that there could only be one. Joe Exotic says that she's open to the public doing day tours, night tours, kid tours, (laughs) kid camps, weddings. Sorry. (laughs) Sometimes I got to throw on a Joe Exotic accent. You sounded exactly like him. I love it. Day tours, night tours. (laughs) The way he says tours is my favorite. And. She definitely does open the zoo to the public. And then we see at the great or the big cat rescue, there's this huge line of people waiting to get in. And she's like video or, you know, videotape it anymore. What do you call it? She was recording it on her cell phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like, what are we in the future? Right. Um, she's recording it on her cell phone, to, presumably to put on a social media platform, Facebook, whatever. And yeah. she's like, oh, there's so many people here. We're so excited. All the stuff. Yeah, she's super active on social media. Super active. They, the thing is though, they both take advantage of animals to make money. Like, this is what they do. Yeah. And they also use social media to attack each other. Yeah. So, Joe Exotic (laughs) is filmed and he's like, I consider that bitch to be one of the biggest terrorists in the exotic animal world. I feel like this bitch, Carol, (laughs) is a terrorist in the animal rights world. He's so funny, like, because there's some clips of him on his TV show where he's like, and I, you know, this person over here, or I don't know, he just, he would be talking about something, he's like, and Carol Baskin this, and Carol Baskin that, and then finally he's like, well, this bitch Carol Baskin, he's just like, (laughs) when it goes, so funny. He really gets himself real worked up about it, it's so funny. Yeah. Joe Exotic is seen in videos that he made himself, that he said, it is my belief that before I'm dead, you will stop breathing, and he's talking about carol that bitch carol baskin he also made a video saying that for her birthday he wanted to send her venomous snakes so he's like at a because he has a a studio at his home and it's him and john rinky and 
he picks up the snake and it's a venomous snake and he's like, here you go, Carol. This we're going to send you a couple of these for your birthday. And they're just laughing and giggling and having a good time. I mean, and then she gets snakes yeah, in the mail. She goes to check her mail and she said a bunch of snakes fall out. Now, I'm going to try to put my feelings aside of how I feel about Carol Baskin. I have feelings about everybody in this entire documentary. Carol Baskin can go kick rocks. Like, I do not enjoy her. For some reason, and I'm just going to say it and it is what it is. They're both wrong, but Joe Exotic is more interesting and fun to watch than Mm -hmm. Carol is. Therefore, I have worse things to say about Carol than I do about Joe Exotic. I, I don't know why. I'm sorry. Yeah. It is what it is. Well, you're not alone. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I feel like everybody Joe feels going that way. To, yeah, I think so, too, because I was reading an article. I think it was either Bustle or Betches. They, I think it was Bustle. They came out with a list of the most hated people in the Tiger King. <laughs> and Joe Exotic was number two and Carol was number one. Yeah. So, what? Wait, wait, Joe Exotic is number two over Doc Antle? Yeah. I, maybe, I guess it gets worse. I don't know. Yeah, you'll see. Um, in my opinion, though, Doc Antle is tied with Carol. <laughs> okay, all but, right. Yeah, because I really fucking hate that guy. Yeah, no, I really hate him. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you're alone in that. Yeah. Okay. So then we see Joe going to some sort of a gun emporium, something like that. I don't know correct words, so just hate me if you need to, if you're a gun toting, whatever, that can't stand incorrect terms. Um, but anyway, he goes to somewhere at the gun store, and he's going to buy a ton of bullets. And then the guy behind the counter is like, is this it for you? Do you need, do you need explosives? Do you need any explosives? I know. That, think about that question, sir. <laughs> you don't exactly. need any explosives. No, no, no. Uh, especially sure this guy. Right. <laughs> especially and this guy. Then we see Joe, he goes out to his property and he starts shooting his gun into the water of like a lake or something that he has on his house or at his house. And he says that he's like, yep, got all the animal rights activists. Yeah, that's too far. Way too far. We then fast forward to 2019 to Grady County Jail. Joe says, I'm in a cage. I'm not going to be accused and go to prison and lose everything I have for things that other people did. Before this is over with, I'm going to shut everybody down. And then that's the end of episode one. Mm -hmm. So then we get into episode two. We're at the Great Winnie Wood Zoo, Oklahoma, 2013. It opens to a tiger attack. One of the employees, Saf, was attacked by a tiger. So what Saf did was he put his arm through the cage and had his arm torn off. His arm and hand worked at first. So what happens is, like, they show all of this. They don't show the attack because they weren't there for it. But we see Joe rush over and, like, kind of put a tourniquet on the arm that was mm-hmm. injured. And it's the left arm. What? Um, hang then, on. Was this not a... I thought this was a woman. Okay. So... It's technically a woman, but I think it's a woman transitioning. So we say man. Oh, okay. Because I've seen a couple articles with Saf, and it says he and man. Okay, okay. Because I was... And the 911 call was like, he had his arm completely torn off. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. I, I okay. missed that part, too. 
No, it's fine. Um, they still sometimes refer to Saf as a girl, but I think... Yeah, because I thought when Joe went and, like, told all the people waiting and he was, like, a staff member, I thought he said put her arm in a cage and it got torn off. Yeah. So that's I, where I got confused. Right. I'm just going to assume that... I don't know. I really don't know. Okay. Well, yeah. If if um, if um he's transitioning and that's what he prefers, then we will go with that. I think so. Okay. So... We see Joe go over, put the tourniquet on the arm. It's the left arm that's been injured. Then he goes into the gift shop and he's telling all of the guests, like, listen, we had an attack. Somebody got their arm ripped off. I can give you a refund or we can do like a voucher for another time. You can come in. But that's what's happened. And then it's all over the news, this whole tiger attack. And Saf says that when... He was in the hospital. John Rinky and Joe Exotic go and visit him. And John Rinky hands a pen and asks to write his name. And he was like, it still worked at that time. Like, it was really bandaged up. It was in a lot. I was in a lot of pain. It worked. But then the doctor comes in and he's like, listen, it'll take two years of reconstruction to get it back to normal or we can amputate it. And Saf is like, amputate it. Which I was kind of surprised about. Well, yeah, I would say employee of the fucking universe because the whole reason was because he was like, I felt like I needed to get back to work. If I if I stayed and wanted to do the reconstruction, I'd be out of work off and on for however many, you know, different surgeries and all this stuff. And by doing it this way, I was back to work five days after the amputation. Yeah. I mean, very true. Um, Like, these are people, I think it's showing you, because this episode is very, it centers around the staff, mm -hmm. you know, a lot, and and how much they give to do what they're doing, and I think it just really shows, like, how totally devoted. Hopelessly devoted. I know. (laughs) That these people are to, to what they're doing. I mean, they... The thing about, I don't know, the thing about all of it, or all of them, is they, I mean, I feel like Doc Antle is 100,000% a cult leader. I'm mm-hmm. not sure yet about Joe Exotic, um, and I'm pretty sure, a little sure about Carol, but it's blatantly <laughs> obvious with Doc in this episode for me. I haven't seen oh, past absolutely. episode two. but. Like, they definitely, whether on purpose or not, know how to get somebody to buy in to the point that this, that what they're doing is more important than any of their own personal goals, their own personal safety, their own personal anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so crazy to me. Yeah. So... He said that Joe's statement of our mission is to give these animals a fighting chance caused him to return to work immediately. And he said, otherwise, the media wins because the media was all over it, like questioning Joe and being like, you know, are you sure this isn't a ticking time bomb? Are you sure we're not going to get another Zanesville, Ohio situation out of this? Right. And so he was in the park five days after the amputation and was in the hospital for seven days total. Total. I cannot. It's insane. Yeah. Then 
they talk about the power that holding a big cat or being with an exotic animal has on you, which again, I get it. I cannot imagine. I've never held a baby tiger. I've never walked a tiger around. I don't know. But I also kind of think it's a little like it goes back to the very beginning where they're like, they're animal people are a little out there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exotic animal people are a little. Well, out there. I think most people, if you were to, for whatever reason, have the opportunity to hold a baby tiger or whatever, I think most people would be like, wow, this is a once in a lifetime experience. Probably this is pretty amazing. This is a mm-hmm. cute little tiger. And then you go on about the rest of your life having had that experience and feeling like warm and fuzzy about it instead of this gives me power over the universe and I must harness this in some way and <laughs> like lord it over everybody around me. <laughs> like there's obviously yeah. something there in your brain that makes that experience do something that it doesn't normally do to other people. Definitely. Then we see Doc Antle and he is riding his elephant named Bubbles. Like, oh. I know. I just feel bad for everything that's around him, including animals, because I hate him so much. Yes. He's riding around on his elephant down, like, his street, and he's waving to people and whatever. And you can tell he's so fucking smug. Like, he's just so, like, look at how amazing I am. And then he walks Bubbles into a lake, like a, you know, there's like a, where you put your boat in or whatever. He walks her down into the lake, and then they, like, are swimming around in the lake. It's kind of adorable, but if it wasn't him, it'd be adorable. Right. Then we're in his living room, and he's on, or on his couch, there are two baby tigers. And then there are some zookeepers that come in. They bring in two more baby tigers. And he's like, there's nothing cooler, sexier, or more significant to the world we live in today than a tiger. It has this primordial calligraphy that tells the message just in its very image. Everyone loves them, and anyone who says they don't is just insecure and broken. I tried to do my best dog Antle impression because he always talks with such force like that. Yeah, I mean, I hated you while you were saying it, so. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. But he's just gross. He's just gross. So, Joe was the top breeder in the country at this time, and Rick Kirkham said that the breeding was his whole thing, that the whole idea was to keep baby tigers being born. He had so many animals that he sold them to little parks around the country, and it was a big moneymaker for him. And then we see Joe Exotic, and he's holding this little baby tiger. And the director, I guess, Eric Good, he's like, how much would it cost for me to just get like just a regular run-of-the-mill baby tiger? And he's like, oh, about $2,000, but it's illegal now, so just remember that. <laughs> and Don't not do it. Just remember that it's illegal. Just don't get caught. Yeah. yeah. John Rinke said that it's illegal under the Endangered Species Act. You can't buy, sell, trade, or barter anything endangered, but there's not a damn zoo out there not buying tigers when they don't have them. Then we meet my second, well, Doc Antle, Carol Baskin, and then this motherfucker right here, (laughs) Tim Stark. Which one is he? Oh, he's the one. He does wildlife in need. Um, he's a rough, crass, trashy-ass man. Oh, shit, yes. He's I holding the monkey. Fucking hate that guy, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is, he's holding a monkey the entire time he's doing this interview. And he said, they're endangered, duh. Oh, my God, What's yeah. the first thing you should do with an endangered species? Make more, not eliminate the source. Yeah. He's, he's fucking trash. 
He's yes. And I like my women a little on the trashy side, but I don't like this man. This this is not just too much lipstick and too much rouge. It's uh <laughs> it's something more. I don't know what it's, else. Yeah, it's a lot more. Yeah. Than that. He said that he bought hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of animals from Joe. And Carol is trying to help law enforcement take cub breeding seriously by starting a website that she named 911 Animal Abuse with info on cub breeders. And one of the cub breeders that she talks about is Mario Tabro. He was one of the biggest drug dealers in Florida, but despite having a criminal past, he also runs a huge animal park. But it's, pri- it's very, very private. He keeps everything super secluded, super private. It's super difficult to get in. Mark McCarthy worked for Mario around 1982. He said he had people come up to him often being like, how can you work for somebody like this? Because he said that people would drive by and call him, what is the guy, Tony Mon- Montana, Montagna? How do you say his name? I, I don't know. From Scarface? Uh, I haven't seen Scarface. Anyway, I haven't either, but I... um. I know someone who has seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. It's the same. It's the same. (laughs) But he says that people were like, how can you work for somebody like this? And he's like, because he's got the coolest animals. And he goes on to name all the animals. People are so, they are addicted to wild animals. Well, the guy even said, Mario was like, I had to sell drugs to maintain my animal habit. Yes, exactly. I've never heard such. So then Mark McCarthy said that Mario would basically smuggle animals the way that you would smuggle drugs. It's just the penalty is different and less for smuggling in animals. He said that Mario would open snakes up, stick bags of cocaine inside of them, stitch them back together, and not really care if they lived or died. I just... Can you call yourself an animal lover if you do that? I mean, do you consider a snake an animal? No. But still. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm kidding. No, they're living, that's breathing things. That's fucking horrible. Yeah. I mean, that's what the thing is. These The people that are in this documentary, all they care about is what an animal can do for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It's just so messed up. They're all the worst. Mario said that he is giving his animals what they need that they can't have the wild that they supposedly deserve (laughs) that isn't even there anymore. So he is giving them love and passion. Okay. So he's like, yeah, I guess wild animals need the outdoors or whatever. (laughs) Like, are you... (laughs) Cannot believe this. Right? Like, no, that's a fact, sir. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So then Mario takes us back in time to when he was a cocaine dealer and smuggler. (laughs) I just can't with this guy. I know. And somehow I've seen so many memes about it that they're like, somehow he's the most sane one out of the bunch. Pretty bad. Which we didn't see coming. Yeah, exactly. It's it's real bad if that's the case. But they may not be wrong. Right, exactly. He said that he operated out of a business called Zoological Imports Unlimited. He was also accused of covering up the murder, mutilation, and cremation of a drug informant. And then Mario, so this was kind of like a a news blurb from whenever this happened um, in the 80s, I'm guessing. Mario, or maybe it was before that, Mario said his name was Larry Nash. He was an ATF informant. 
The guy that worked for me shot him, and they panicked and dumped him on my farm. I had a crazier partner that told me, uh, or they and me, excuse me, I had a crazier partner than me who said, let's just cut him up and burn him. So we burned him. You know, I really didn't do most of the stuff, but I carried the stigma of it. And then he was like, what am I going to say to the judge? I did not kill him. I did not use the circular saw around his neck. It was someone else. What's the difference? It, I was still there. Uh, Yeah, you fucking were still there. And yeah, the way he said that stuff was just like, yeah, I put mayonnaise on my sandwich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what's it to you? Yeah. Like, I- you literally watch someone kill someone and then you either helped or you just you didn't say anything about it i mean you, yeah okay sure all right we so, burned him so we burned him yeah so we burned him come on I, again no words it's yeah i know i know the judge gave him 100 years but he won an appeal and he only ended up serving 12 years he starts talking about how he acquired his animals at first and he said that he was never allowed to have animals growing up at all so as soon as he left his house he got not one but three great danes Then, directly after that, he got a cougar from a pet shop because it was legal back then. Then, a man who was killed by six lions. He got those. (laughs) Hell of a resume. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not laughing that the guy got killed, but I'm like, you, so you're fine with that then? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so his previous owner killed by them? Wait, was he killed by them? You said, what do you mean? You said killed by the lions? Yeah, the lions killed him. Okay, yeah. I was like, maybe I misunderstood that sentence. No, I didn't. Okay, just no, making yeah. sure. No, the lions killed him. <laughs> then a woman had a tiger on a houseboat, so he got that. What? He also said that he got a bunch from Doc Antle. Of course. Do you want to revisit the tiger on a houseboat? <laughs> <laughs> a little. Like, what? A little, yeah. What I don't is know. Going I mean, on? golly. The the sad thing is, if we spent a ton of time or even a little bit of time on every crazy thing like that in this documentary, it would be 92 years long. Oh, yeah. Because there's all... so much like that. Yeah. Yeah. He said that he had known Doc Antle since 1982 or 1983, that he said he came to visit him and they just became friends. That They learned a lot from each other, like business-wise, animal-wise, all that kind of stuff. Then we meet Maria Tabro. She is Mario's wife. She ages like a fine wine. She does. Yeah. She looked great. Oh, yeah. She talks about raising baby monkeys and said that she only had one at that time that she was raising, like bottle feeding and raising, but she at sometimes had like seven or eight at a time and they would stay in their bedroom. Um, she would raise them, you know, like like a newborn baby. And she showed all of the... She had, like, two big, like, storage closet kind of things with clothes for the monkeys. And she said she would go to, like, Babies R Us and get the preemie outfits. And so she had some for girls, some for boys. Every occasion you can think of Easter, um, any holiday, like, she had everything. And the director, Eric, was like, well, it seems like you love these monkeys, like, you love your own children. And she's laughing. And she's like, I think more. Like, (laughs) I love them more than my own well, then she's talking, She she's showing them around, like, you know, here's uh, Mario's office, and then she's like, oh, here's this book, and she starts opening it, and it's a book by Doc Antle, I guess, or maybe he's just featured in it, and she's like, oh, here's Doc Antle, and one of the crews was like, what is he a doctor of? And she says, oh my God. a doctor of mystical science. 
equals he's not a fucking doctor. <laughs> right? He's not a doctor. I'm a doctor of assholes and elbows. I don't know. There you That's go. actually probably an actual... You can actually be a doctor of assholes. But. Proctologist, then? Yes. Yeah. Um. Then, she, while she's flipping through the pages, she there's a woman on one of the pages and they're like, oh, who's that? And she was like, oh, it's one of Doc's wives. And the director starts laughing and he's like, oh, I like how you say that one of his wives. And he's like, how many wives does he have? And she says he has three wives. Well, <laughs> this then, part was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny. So they poll so many different people. So John Rinky, he says that he's got like three or four wives. Or wait, Joe Exotic said he had three or four wives. John Rinky said like five wives. And Saf said nine wives. What? What's the guy with the long blonde hair? I forget his name. Uh, uh, Eric Cowie. Yeah. When they ask him, he goes, I don't fucking care. I know. <laughs> Andrew was like, I like that guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he, that's what I'm saying is giving him is busted. Like anytime they're like, oh, yeah. hey, Eric, what do you think? He's like, fuck off. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so funny. Doc said that he has an intern. Mm-hmm. Doc says that he has an internship program, which you can join, and some people decide to stay. One of his longtime girlfriends, China, was 17 when she came to the property. Uh, two pedophile! Uh, exactly. Two other women, which we will learn more about later, um, he explains that they showed up as young women as well. That's, then, so, that's such a gross statement. Yes! They came here as young women as yeah. well. Yeah, what? Listen to yourself. He doesn't... These children. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. He's so gross. He's so gross. Then we go to Ames, Iowa and meet Barbara Fisher. And I love Barbara Fisher. Oh, my gosh. She's great. Yeah. I love her. Love, love, love her. All day long. She said that she worked at the zoo from 1999 to 2007. She said when she read about it, it sounded like a utopia. People were vegetarian and used principles of yoga to train these animals. She's asked what Bhagavan means, and she said Lord. And Doc Antle says it means you're a friend of God. Yeah, whatever. It means you think you're a god. Exactly. Fuck off. Doc Antle is so full of himself, it's just not even funny. Mm -hmm. Barbara said that they lived in these awful horse stalls. They were full of cockroaches. That Doc had this level of enlightenment. And if you wanted to get close to that, you should sleep with him. And at first, she did not want to. She's, and I don't know if she ever really did. She never said she did, but she was like, I didn't want to. That he had a personality type that he preferred, which was virgins or close to virgins. Disgusting. He, I know. Because he likes children. I know. It's so gross. Yeah, he's so gross. He, and this is so classic cult leader. Oh, uh, 100%. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He would become bonded with them after their first time having sex, of course. Of course. And according to them, it was their, and she says Shaktipa. I don't know what Shaktipa is. Well, she tells you what it is, but yeah. I don't know how to spell it. Anyway. Oh, right. Shaktipa is a concept where a guru will touch you and you become enlightened. So essentially, she says... <laughs> It's Shaktipa with penis. With penis. Because he has to enlighten you with his penis. Oh, my God. And we were watching this. Andrew was like, so does my penis enlighten you? And I was like, don't. No, don't. <laughs> Gross. It's like when you knight someone with a sword. Do you, like, do it with a penis? Like, 
Oh. Penis on one shoulder, penis on one shoulder, penis on the head. I think you have to. I don't think there's any other way. It won't take it if you there. don't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. His touch brings them up to his level of enlightenment. So Doc Antle had three wives and Joe had two husbands. And Joe's like, I don't know if it's competition. <laughs> and like laughing about it. Gross. Gross. One of Joe's husband's name is John, and he's a muscled up guy who John Rinky says didn't come across as gay. And then there was Travis, another muscled up boy that was into skateboarding. He was 19 when he came to the zoo, and Joe was immediately love struck. They were in the back of a trailer one day, and Joe asked Travis, How straight are you? And Travis responded with, Pretty straight. And Joe asked if he watched porn, and Travis said yes. And Joe said, well, while you're watching, do you enjoy watching the guy with the little one doing her or the guy with the big one doing her? And Travis said the big one, and he said, well, then you ain't that straight then. Uh, I, I, uh, do people ask that, like, is that a question you ask people, like, when you meet them? Like, okay, um, nice to meet you. Do you watch porn? I know, right? Well, if you're trying to bag a straight dude and you're a gay man, I guess. It worked. I mean, yeah, it worked. I I just, I, there's no word. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't even know. It's astonishing. Joe asked if John could bring Travis into the relationship with him, and John said yes. And he said he didn't really think anything of it, like he wasn't that weirded out by it for whatever reason i don't know he said that but i feel like the way he said it you could see that he was yeah i don't know i don't even know the three were then married in a ceremony and the ceremony is interesting there's a woman who is performing the ceremony and she's kind of laughing through the entire thing and then there's it's a three-way ceremony like they all three are married at the same time and they just each kiss each other and then that's it and it's obvious that like it's they're joe's husbands it's not like travis was john's you know what i mean like right i I feel like they only considered themselves married to joe yeah 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 it didn't seem like there was any um affection or intimacy between the two of them yeah travis and john yeah and they during the ceremony, I mean, Joe looks very happy. Mm-hmm. Travis seems fine. Joe. S- John. Damn it. I did this last night, too. Yeah. Who did I say first? Joe looks happy. Travis looks okay. John. John looks. Um, He's just like, because she's like, this is unusual. And they're all laughing. And John's like, okay. You could just see in his face that he's like. And when Joe went to give him a kiss, you know, whenever they were all married or whatever, I feel like, like when you're super pissed mm-hmm. at your husband and he leans over to give you a kiss and you're like, kind of turn and give him the cheek almost halfway and you're like, peck, okay, bye. Like that pissed <laughs> off peck, you know, I feel like that's what he yes. gave him. It definitely did not seem like the best day of John's life. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> right. So there's footage of Travis interviewed throughout the documentary. I don't know. It it seems like it's Joe a lot of times it's interviewing Travis. Travis said that he liked being around Joe and John and the animals. And he just seems super naive, super young. He's like, I've never really been anywhere. I've never really done anything. My my life hasn't really gotten started yet. 
Carol said that a lot of times people use these animals as a way to entice young people into relationships that end up kind of being labor camps, which we obviously Mm -hmm. have seen ring true. Doc Antle said that everything else in your life has to fade away because working at the zoo supersedes that. There are no holidays. There's no time taken off. There's no nothing. And there's a woman. Her name is Moksha Bybee. She is Doc's one of Doc's partners. She said that she just works all the time. Eight to midnight, working all the time. Yeah. And Barbara Fisher, we go back to her. She said that people at Doc Antle Zoo only got paid $100 a week. A week! A week. Carol Baskin said that she doesn't pay anyone to do animal care because people will do that for free. <laughs> it was so funny because you're like, you're like, oh my God, what an asshole Doc Antle is. And then she comes over and she's like, yeah, well, why would I pay anybody to do it? They'll do that for free. I was like, yeah, oh. she's like, here, hold, hold my beer. Yeah. I'm going to fix this one. Yeah. And it's funny to me because I could see the way the documentarian or like Eric Good, how he maybe presented it and she might not realize how it would would come across as they were making the documentary but then mm-hmm. the way that he it's so perfect the way that he the timeline of everything and the way that he edits it where it's like oh shit mm-hmm. <laughs> she's no better than any of these guys exactly so at carol's big cat rescue they have a color-coded system that they do with t-shirts red shirts were beginner keeper trainees you get all of your classes done and then you apply for your yellow shirt. And that usually takes about a year. So then you have to have your yellow shirt for about a year or at least a year. Then you move on to your green shirt. But you have to have been there for a minimum of two years to get your green shirt. Then after about five years, you can move up to Master Keeper, which is a navy blue shirt. Or you can do like a royal blue shirt. And that is an expedited, like you spend 12-hour days every seven days a week expediting through the service or the, um, what do you call it? Through the system, I don't know. And then you get to be a master keeper. And now keep in mind, you're not allowed to have Christmas. You're not allowed to have birthdays. You're not allowed to have vacations. You just work, 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 work all the time and you never get paid. I don't understand the appeal, but whatever. Joe says, how does she brainwash all these volunteers into working for free and convincing everyone that she's not abusing those animals? And I get what he's saying, but I'm like, well, it's kind of the pot calling the kettle trashy. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I literally in this moment thought of that Friends episode where Phoebe was like, hi, pot. This is kettle. You're black. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because it is. That's what they're doing. Yeah. They're both just pointing the finger at each other being like, well, Yeah, I mean, I'm bad, but she's worse. Yeah, exactly. But she did it first. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Big Cat Rescue has a huge social media following, which we talked about a little bit earlier. They have like 2 million likes on Instagram. I mean, Facebook. Yeah. That's so much. Mm -hmm. She makes a ton of money just off Facebook. She said that she gets checks for like, at that point anyway, like $20,000 a week. That's insane. Do you think she still does after everybody hates her now? There are so many videos of her where she's like, hey, all you bit cool cats and kittens. And it's my favorite ever. I live for it. It's the gift that keeps on giving all the time. Then while we're watching the documentary, we see, and I'm sorry to whoever recorded the song who did the video. It's That is not your fault how fucking horrible it is. Okay, thank you. So don't you you apologize for that. (laughs) 
I just feel bad. It's this terrible video called Beautiful, Wild, and Free. It's and the worst. Carol, her husband Howard, and the director, Eric Good, are just watching it. And she's like, wow, there are a lot of people that like us out there. <laughs> My God, it's horrible. It's but what about, though, whenever she, they're talking to her for the first time, I guess it's in episode one, or like talking to her early on and her husband is like, what does he call her? She's the Cleopatra of cats. And she's oh, like, no, the Mother Teresa. Oh, Mother Teresa. That's it. Somebody else calls her Cleopatra. Yes. And that says she thinks she's Cleopatra. Anyway, yeah, he's like, she's like the Mother Teresa of big cats. And she's like, you're so wonderful. Like, leans over and gives him a hug. And everybody's like, okay, like, Carol didn't fucking tell him he better say that or she was going to feed him to the cats. Like, exactly. Come on. Of course she said that right. as coach. <laughs> exactly. So then. We see Joe, he's talking about going on a tour of Big Cat Rescue. And while he's on this tour, he (laughs) takes a video of it. And he says it's worse than most people's backyard. That they boast that they have over 100 big cats. But during the tour, he only saw 12. And he wanted to see where the other 100 cats were. So then he proceeds to rent a helicopter and fly low over Big Cat Rescue to see if he can find these other, like, hidden cats. I just... And he took a ton of pictures. Yeah. He's Joe, got a point, though. Where are they? Well, I mean, very true. It's just... I don't know. Carol's, mm-hmm. you know, like, he, he he decided to get these get this helicopter and fly over. And I know what he was doing. He just wanted to just get at me and see, get some intel and all this stuff. And it's like, well, I mean... If right, you're being upfront and honest, maybe exactly. You know? Just like Phil said in the Confession Killer, if you don't have any secrets, you shouldn't be afraid of the light. If you don't have anything to hide, you shouldn't be afraid of the light. Ugh, are you really talking about Phil right now? I talk about Phil every day. I love him so much. <laughs> so Joe, John was talking about it, and he was like, "Yeah, when we were doing it, when we once he rented that helicopter, that really put some bad thoughts into his mind, and he." was talking about throwing grenades down and and bombing the place and stuff like that. Tim Stark said that he knew Doc Antle for years and that he kind of idolized him. And yeah, if you didn't already hate Tim Stark, which you should, you should reevaluate some things in your life if you didn't already. Yeah. Um, Here's where that's going to take a turn. Yeah. He said the first thing he ever told him was, I don't need you to teach me a damn thing about the animals. How in the fuck do you get these women trained? I wanted to flip a table. I wanted to punch the highlights out of Andrew's hair. I was yes. like, what What the fuck? He said, not just because of the animals and stuff he had, the way he had them women trained for his own damn, you know, harem and shit. I just he, don't. He called it a hair. Oh, my God. I just, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Barbara said that Doc Antle was good at getting what he wanted out of the women and the animals. Mm -hmm. He chose all the women's outfits. They were supposed to be sexy. Um, Yeah, of course he chose their outfits. They were all literally dressed like Halle Berry in a superhero cat movie. Yes. Or possibly the Flintstones movie. Oh. mm -hmm. Remember? Mm -hmm. Um, They were supposed to be really sexy. She said that China came after she got there, and when she got there, her name was Michelle. That Moksha was named Meredith, Rajni was Renee, and Barbara 
had her name legally changed to Bala for many years. He was grooming these women. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he's doing. And also, when you create their identity, it's so much easier to form them into exactly what and who you want them to be. Well, yeah. I mean, that's like the first, not even the first step, but it's a big step in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's clouding their judgment on who they are, and then they don't know any other identity except for what you tell them. Like, it's just, it's disgusting. He controlled every aspect of their lives, what they were allowed to eat, what they were allowed to do. They were pushing Barbara to get implants because they wanted her to look a certain way. And she said she didn't even remember agreeing to do it, that the appointments were just made. And she said that she was too scared at the time to tell them no. But she also kind of liked the idea of having some time off because she was working nonstop with no breaks. So she thought the idea of getting implants and having some time to recover It's kind of nice. Yeah. Can you imagine like being so in need of rest that and not able to get it that you would have surgery just so that you can lay down for a little while? That's so sad. That's horrible. The director then tells Doc Antle, it's not everyday people or it's not everyday people have jobs where they're working so much and they're not allowed to take time off for things. And Doc Antle's like, I'm going to stop you right there. You're leading me down a road where people are just going to say, you have to join a fucking cult to be a tiger trainer. Heard it. Promise you. Been there 30 years. Know everything. I've heard it all. And Barbara was like, well, you're free to leave. I mean, but that's what they say in cults, too. Like, Uh, you can leave anytime you want to. Yeah, but where would you go? She sold everything that she had. Like, she didn't have another option. She's given up everything to be there. And she said, like, all the social ties you have to cut and all that stuff. Like, his answer is 100,000% exactly what the fuck a cult leader would say. Exactly. I mean... And Joe even says, he's like, well, you know, Doc's got his little cult. I've got my little cult. (laughs) They work, you know, mine works for me. His works for him. I mean, you got to give it to Joe. Like, he's... He's an open book. (laughs) Yeah, he knows what's going on. He's not trying to hide it. No, and that's in some way a breath of fresh air because he's doing all of these things that are just god-awful, but he's doing it right in front of your face, and he's like, yeah, I did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I appreciate that way more than trying to, you know, hide yeah. anything. I-, I at least appreciate, too, that I'm pretty sure all of the the men he was sexually involved with were at least over 18 when he got involved with them. If that's something that is a win for you, then that's sad, but I'm glad that you have that. That's great. I mean, that's where we are in this document. I don't know what else I can hang on to. No, there's nothing else. But yeah, it's just like that. Every time, well, I don't know, just watching it, I'm like, ooh, if, if this hasn't, if I'm watching this and this certain thing has not affected me, that's, that's how deep I am. And, you know, like, this is my world now that I'm watching it. Like, Okay, well, that guy's just holding a monkey and he's talking about harems. And I'm like, eh, I mean, nothing new here, you know, like. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Joe really liked to hire people who were at the end of their rope, like people who were ex-criminals. They didn't have anywhere else to turn. And he paid his staff $120 a week for 12-hour workdays. The employees would eat off of a meat truck that they had come in with expired meat from Walmart to feed the animals. But Joe let the employees go through it first. The, I, I just 
So what is the guy's name again with the long hair? Did you say Eric? Eric Cowie. Eric, yeah. So he's like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I like my shit medium rare anyway. I know. Fine. That shit's expired, dude. You were going to give it to wild animals who eat raw meat. Yes. And nothing, nothing crazy, nothing to see here. I don't know. It's sad. It is really sad. Well, and um, Rick Kirkham, he's like, they would carry bags of expired meat and food back to their mobile homes because that's all they had. That there were four mobile homes on the property. The washing machines didn't work. The water didn't run in the bathroom. There was one AC unit for the whole thing, and it would get like 120 degrees in there. And that was one of the good mobile homes. And then they show there's a rat in one of the drawers of like a dresser drawer kind of thing. Oh, so And they're gross. all like, oh, shit, there he is. And yeah, it's just, it's so complete gross. poverty. Like you're living in filth. Yeah, it is. And it'd be one thing like if he was giving them a place to live and yeah, maybe not paying them as much, but like completely providing everything for them. I don't know. That's still, I don't know. That's still really bad. But if he was at least providing them with meals that were edible, that would help. Running water, maybe. Yeah. You know, things like that. But no, he's, their their conditions are worse than prison. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they have to do, like, nonstop manual labor. Mm Mm-hmm. So bad. Barbara said that she was desperately looking for someone to tell her what to do. And Doc said, men are pigs and women are sheep. And she was like, I guess I'm a sheep. I'm just ripe for the slaughter. I know. She said that basically what she did while she was on the or at the zoo was raise tiger cubs. And at first there were only a couple litters a year for a certain time, like different specific times during the year. But then by the time she left, there were always litters. They always were breeding. Mm -hmm. And she talked about one tiger that she was super bonded with named Lakshma. And she said that he was such a sweetheart and he totally trusted her. When asked what happened to him, she said that they kind of knew not to really ask too many questions about it. And that Doc Antle said that he knew what happened to them and where they were. And you don't ask any more questions, bitch. Exactly. Tim Stark said that one of the things that Doc Antle told Joe was that you can't keep them all. It's a bad business decision that once they get out of that stage, that like four week to 16 week period that you can handle them, then then they become just a bill. And John Rinky said that there had been a rumor that Doc Antle euthanized his cubs when he was done with them. Carol, well, I mean, that, where did they go? Like, well, exactly. Like, you can't, you can't be if you breed that many and you see that many tiger cubs. Well, you have to see that many adult tigers at some point, right? Because they grow up. Yeah, that's exactly the you know statistic in the Jyoti Singh th- case where they were talking about how many more millions of women should be present mm-hmm. in which country was it? it? Was India? Was it India? I thought they were talking about. Was it was it- Delhi. But I thought that stat was Mumbai or I don't remember. Anyway, but yeah, they um talking about how many more millions of women should be present. And if they're not, what's happening to them? Yeah, exactly. Where are they? Exactly. They're, they they should be somewhere because we know they were born. 
Mm-hmm. That's so awful. Carol said that they've had whistleblowers that have come forward and said that they heard gunshots at night, and then the next day there's no big cat. And I hate the way she says big cat. I hate everything about... Okay, it's not... That's not the point of this. Um, yeah, Mark, just call it a fucking tiger. I know, right? <laughs> Her favorite thing is, like, these big cats, and then she's, like, giggling and stuff. Um, Mark McCarthy said that Carol thinks of herself as the Cleopatra of big cats, there and she's not is. that great. She's not yeah, that great. She's not that great. That she goes after people with her millions that she inherited from her husband who went missing. And the director's like, wait, 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 wait. Her husband is went missing? And he's like, yeah, I just vanished. He's like, how, how did your husband just go missing? He's like, I don't know. It happened. Mm-hmm. It's, he, he's out there. Then Mario, he said that in his opinion, Carol Baskin is full of shit. That she's got a missing husband that's supposedly buried on her property. That's a real true story. Then Joe <laughs> said that her husband is missing and that they believe she fed him to the tigers. And then we see a news story of footage saying that Carol's husband's children, so her stepchildren, said that they suspect that she fed him to the tigers as well. And then that's the end of episode two. This guy knows how to leave you on a cliffhanger. Oh, my God. Yeah. So is episode three about, will it go into the, like, circumstances surrounding his disappearance? Absolutely, yes. Okay. I was like, if it doesn't, if it's one of those cliffhangers where then you, like, get 40 minutes in and you're like, we're not even talking about that, I'm going to be pissed. No, we, like, get right into it. Oh, okay. Cool. Episode three. Yes. Nice. So that's the end of that. Now, I got to tell you, like, I was... I've watched these two episodes, and it felt like four minutes of my life went by. I mean, it like feels like so fast. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't have and that's been watching about it an hour. No, yeah, that's the thing. Like we were kind of talking about it yesterday, and I was like, the thing about this this documentary is every episode, it's so high energy. There's no lulls. There's no like downtime in it. It's something big and happening all the time, and you're like, it can't get any can't get any crazier. Oh shit, it just got crazier. Like it's right. it's just on all the time it's crazy it is it is insane and this is real life for these people i mean exactly this shit really happened yeah and i mean couldn't have come at a more perfect time with like I feel quarantine like exactly um i've seen so many memes which the memes are just the gift that keeps on giving they're so good oh yes but so many people are like you know oh here's the pandemic what are we gonna do and then they say like it's a it's a Donald Trump meme, but they're like Donald Trump's whispering in someone's ear. He's like, "Drop the tiger documentary, drop the tiger documentary." Because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need to do. That's what are we gonna so do? Funny. What are we gonna do? I think I'm gonna post an Instagram story um, and make it a highlight just about Tiger King. And like, as people send us or share the memes, we'll just add them and just have like one place where you can go and find like a hundred do- memes. I feel like that would be fun. That- is perfect okay so that's what i'm gonna do so share them with us on instagram your favorite tiger king memes yeah and we'll add them to the stories perfect well thank you guys so much for listening thank you for always being super supportive and we hope you have an amazing rest of your week whenever you listen to this and hopefully you stay safe stay home and have a good quarantine yeah we love you bye love you bye Cause you
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.